Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 34 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam, and I am here with Dave. How are you, sir? I, I, I am great. It's good to be here doing the podcast. So Yes, I am. I am excited to be here. Uh, Dave, I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we record this, it is currently game two of the World Series. It is. And uh, we're both in a weird boat. We both live in the Kansas City area, but neither of us are Royals fans. No. So while we are missing World Series baseball, it's not as though your White Sox or my Tigers are playing. Correct. So I do have a question for you though. Yes. The Royals won game one in 14 innings. Mm-hmm. They're currently down one, nothing as we record. Yes. Who will win the world series and in how many games? Because if it's a short series, there's a chance by the time we record next, it will already be over. Oh, that's so. crazy. Uh, I actually believe that. Huh? I actually believe it's going to be the Royals. And I think they're going to, it's going to be game six that they win to win the World Series. So that's actually our next scheduled time to record. <laughs> yeah. So that might change. Not, not because either of us, like I said, are Royals fans, but I would like to see the World Series get won by a team. It's kind of fun to watch a bunch of grown men jump around like children. Yes. In glee, not in anger or, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, like, yeah. I'm going to say the Royals in six. And I, I am not a Royals fan, but. I just, uh, you know, I think when you can when you can show back up at the World Series with the best record in the American League after being there the year before as a wild card and not kind of finishing it out, I think there's just sort of that. Um, je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Um, something about them. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think it's just a they were there last year. And some of the novelty and the jitters are gone, and I think they're on a mission well, this year. I, to win. I just don't want a National League team to keep winning the World Series. This is a frustrating day. I don't want a New York team to win either. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think the Mets will win Game Two because Degrom's pitching and he has an amazing he is mane pretty, of hair. Well, yeah, his pitching's pretty impressive too. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty much chalking up Game Two to the Mets, and the Royals are very lucky that they won Game One. Uh, yes, I think that was a big... It took a... It, what, in the park home run and a solo homer off of their closer has not blown a save since June just to win. Yeah. So consider yourselves, you know, lucky there. Um, but I believe the World Series is two, three, and two as far as two in Kansas City, three in New York, and two yes. in Kansas City. Um, I think... I think it's going to go seven. I think the Royals will get one game in New York. Hmm. Because game, especially, oh my gosh, specifically, specifically because of how much bullpen was used in the first game. Chris Young, who was supposed to start game four, had to pitch, what was it, three innings? So he may not be able to go as long if he does indeed start in game four. So I just think that first game totally threw a curveball at both teams. Hmm. Um, But... You never know what you're going to get with Cueto. Ventura's a total hothead. Yes. So I think it's going to go seven. And I predict that the Royals will win, but it will be in the seventh game because I don't think they can win two in New York. Okay. Just saying. Fair enough. Now, that was totally on topic. I understand why everyone's not confused, why we were talking sports on a Bible podcast, but, you know. Jesus, That's all right. Jesus likes sports, right? Yes, he does. I would also, uh, actually, I think it's Ben Zobrist. I'm sure there's Christians on both teams. Ben Zobrist is a pretty cool guy. He looks so. really different with a beard, though. <laughs> yes. At first, I was like, that is not Ben Zobrist. I've met him in person. I've shaken, I've shaken his hand. Awesome. But that was, you know, five years ago without a beard, so... And was he with uh, Tampa? Tampa Bay, or I guess Tampa. Yeah, he uh, he went. He started out in college at Olivet Nazarene, which is the town where my wife grew up. Mm-hmm. And one of our friends was friends with him while they were in school together. And so, anytime that Zobris is in town, Matt would go to the games. And so we went to the the Rays White Sox game and got to meet him beforehand. Cool. Shook his hand. It was very. It was rough, like a like a carpenter's would be. <laughs> So, but he's a nice guy. Signed my hat and everything. 
I had a Montgomery Biscuits baseball hat, and Montgomery's the double-A team for Tampa, and their mascot is a southern biscuit with eyes, and his tongue is a chunk of butter. It's pretty, <laughs> that's good. pretty classic. <laughs> yes, for A-ball, that's good. Double-A. Well, yeah. Come on now, Dave. I couldn't. I couldn't get past the miners in. Uh, oh no! In uh, no, not even those miners. I'm talking about little league. I was terrible at baseball. <laughs> couldn't hit a. Couldn't hit uh, water if I fell out of a boat. It was that bad. <laughs> All right. Should we do some follow up now that we've wasted like seven minutes on sure. teams that we don't care about? Yeah. All right. First up and follow up. We've got two things to follow up on, Dave, which is twice as much as we had last time, right? Yeah. Did we have any last time? I don't remember. Yeah, no, yeah, that was, yeah. That was one where Jerome followed up. Okay, so first of all, we've got a, a long-time listener, first-time responder, uh, the best man of my wedding, still one of my all-time greats. He's in the Hall of Fame of Friends, Dave. Good. His name is Nick Coates. And Nick wrote in, just because he's a nice guy. Not only is he handsome and intelligent, but also very kind. <laughs> Are you trying and, to get him to write in again? Yes, definitely. <laughs> but as a side, his daughter's like one of the cutest kids I've ever seen in my life. Really? Yeah, she's adorable. Um, hi, Emma. You don't know who I am because you're still too young. <laughs> <laughs> How old is she? Uh, oh, sorry. This is, Put this you is, on the spot. Yeah, this is <laughs> How good Nick, of friends I'm are sorry. you? <laughs> no, she is almost a year. Okay. I think she was born right around Christmas. So she's almost a year. I can't remember if it was right before or right after, but it's, it was very, very close to that time of year. Um, but he just wrote in and it was just really nice and said that he just wanted to encourage us and that what we do is not in vain. And he's learned a lot. And so it was just, it was really nice to hear, especially from somebody that I know and respect and um, look up to. So Nick, you're a good man. Thank you for being yes. nice to Dave and I for listening to all of this. Thank you, Nick. Yes. All right. Next. Mm-hmm. Jerome is back yet again. I think we have a serial follow-upper here. That's quite all and right. And I like it. Yes. Because uh, while Jerome and I go back to college, we do uh, tend to have different viewpoints on uh, numerous things, which is really good because it allows for us. Because Dave and I agree on a lot that we've talked about thus far. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to have Jerome as kind of the, uh, the foil (laughs) causing us to think through things and that sort of stuff. So we do really do appreciate his different, um, ideas and, and challenges towards us. So, uh, in his last email, um, do you want to read this Dave? Uh, I can, I'm going to put you on the spot now since you look like a bad friend. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so it says, I liked in your guys' follow-up the example of a church board identifying ways in which the church can both identify common points between culture and the church and in which the church can kindly push back against culture and try to show a better way. I think I'd add a third option, being the church board identifying ways in which the culture may be accurately critiquing the church. I think culture, often aided by science, progresses much more quickly than the church. An example of this that we can all agree on might be the church believing the earth is flat and putting to death people who disagree, or more recently, the church using scripture regarding owning slaves to justify slavery and racism. Here we can see the church's interpretation of scripture as it was written in its cultural context and how now applied in our cultural context failed to uphold the core of Christianity. So I thought this was a really interesting thought um i'm i made the first two points that the church needs to embrace culture where it can and critique it where it needs to um which is part of that whole be in the world but not of it and give yourself some common ground to reach Mm non-christians um i had not thought about culture critiquing the church or the uh said more um intelligently that the church would look at culture, you know, um, television, movies, uh, news to see where its faults may lie. And I feel like this is, this is both good, but also very tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really hard 
for people to admit when they're wrong. I, of course, like to think that I'm very good at it because, <laughs> you know, that's just one of my many issues. Um, but for denominations or the church as a whole to admit that we've screwed up, it's pretty difficult. Like, just bring up, oh, you know, the Crusades, and people still get uncomfortable about mm-hmm. it. And it's been how many hundreds of years since that happened? Right. Um, so I, I think that that Jerome raises a very um, good and, and challenging perspective here. How can we as Christians, and then even more broadly as church boards, denominational boards, and um, the church universal look at how culture responds to us and take on a stock of what that may point out about the church. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's an, a, a very important and in my experience, neglected point of view. Sure. Come on, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really hard to do, you know, cause you have to genuinely look in the mirror and be okay with what you see. Right. Well, not necessarily be okay. Be okay with what is said about you and then try and filter out what is accurate and what is not. You know, because there's a lot of people in culture that would tell you that, um, oh, where do I want to go with this? That all Christians are hypocrites. Well, that's, that's not really helpful. Mm-hmm. More specifically, it might be like this church says this, but the pastor has been caught doing that. Like, oh, there's a very specific example of where, pun intended, the culture caught the pastor with his pants down. Like, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to put a practical spin on what Jerome has said here. Because I think, I think he's on to something. I just don't quite, you know... Now how the puzzle pieces fit together. Am I uh, making any sense? <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's kind of one of those. Um, you can't. Um, you know, when it comes to, I, I guess I'll take, I'll take the slavery. Nowhere in the Bible does it say slavery is good. But it does say, slaves, you should obey your masters. And so um, I don't think we can, when, when the Bible is specific on a matter, I don't think we can ignore that. But when it's, it's a general type, of, you know, when we're making it fit what we want it to make it fit. That's called eisegesis, Dave. Yes, exactly. Not exegesis. <laughs> um, then, you know, and, and the other example being the world being flat. I don't think there was anything real specific about that in, in the Bible. And for that matter, I, I don't even think that that, I don't even think those things are necessarily things that would, are essentials. I don't think those are things that people would die on the hill for. I think um, those are certainly um, culturally um well related to culture and so um uh, good oh, i was just going to say i'm watching dave <laughs> think and it's thoroughly entertaining as as i'm trying to get my words out here um I, th- to me these are kind of peripheral type things if if somebody still believed that the world was flat I st- they certainly could still be a Christian. You know, they could adamantly, they could be adamant that they believed that the world was flat. And that wouldn't disqualify them from um, being a Christian. So I guess, I guess I'm kind of even starting a little bit further back in this discussion of just saying, what is the importance of this? Is, is kind of what I'm wrestling with internally in my head. Why is it important? Uh, for the church to be culturally relevant or to challenge maybe even what? I think because if, if Christians are going to claim that they have the truth, Mm -hmm. they have to act 
according to what we know to be true. Mm -hmm. And if a Christian today wanted to proclaim that the world is flat, why would the you credibility be, would, why would you believe them about anything else yeah. when we have photos of the earth as an orb <laughs> from the sixties? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that while yes, someone could say that the world is flat and still believe that Jesus Christ is their savior and die for their sins and all of that, I would also want to be like, now let's talk about science. Yeah. You know, in, in I, that one's easy for me. I don't know how someone could be a slave owner now and be like, oh yeah, go to church on Sundays. Love that Jesus guy. Cause it doesn't compute with me as to like the value of human life and the fact that Christ died for everybody mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So I think the, the linchpin here is if, if I'm a Christian and I'm telling you, I've got the key to the truth of the universe, but you see things in my life that are clearly ignorant of everyday truths. Mm -hmm. Why would you ever make that leap? Gotcha. You're going to look at me and go, no, you're an idiot. You don't even think this basic truth is real when from Everyone, atheists, Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, everyone knows it is true regardless on their worldview. But you, as a Christian, don't acknowledge it. Why would I ever consider your, your God to be real? Right. So that, that's kind of where I come from it. Okay. And I, I, and I guess I would, well, I know I would agree with that. So my question is then, as, as <laughs> we've been uh, discussing this, um, what, what is it? that we need to be more relevant about. Well, see, I even think relevant is such a stupid term, mainly because of the magazine. <laughs> um, and everyone wants to be relevant and hip and all of our pastors wear skinny jeans. And, and I don't got time for that. I just really don't. Um, I think the term rel relevant has been hijacked because I think regardless of where you live and what time you live, Jesus is relevant. And there's nothing we need to do to make him more relevant. You know, mm -hmm. like we don't need to give him a funny mustache and a plaid shirt to make him more relevant with hipsters. No, the reason Jesus is special is because he's God. And guess what? God is always relevant because God created the universe within which we live. Right. Um, so I, I don't think that churches should or Christians should go out of their way to prove the relevance of Jesus because you're putting, you're putting the, the, the horse, the carriage before the horse. You don't need to tell someone, Hey, this Jesus guy's really relevant and hip. You should come check it out. No, you should be like, I've got truth and let's, let's work together towards finding the truth. And in that you will realize, Oh my gosh. I need this guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he lived 2000 years ago, but what he taught and what he said makes so much sense now in a world that is completely different than it was back then. No one else is like that. There's something special about this guy. I need to find out why he's different because pretty much anyone else teaching back in that day, their teachings don't apply to life today. Like Christ's do. Right. There's this inherent respect for the truth of life in his teachings that transcends time. Because guess what God does? He transcends time yeah. <laughs> every day, which is a weird conundrum of a sentence because we, we can't really comprehend life outside of time. But my point is we don't, we don't, when, when we're engaging with culture, it's not about being relevant. It's not about having a cool light show at your church or a fog machine or hashtag sermon titles or being strong on social media with your kids ministry. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about engaging with culture. I'm saying as, as, as a local church body or as a regional denomination or as a church universal, what about human culture on the planet represents the truth of God? Mm-hmm and the goodness of God latch onto that with everything you got. Cause the chances are the majority of what human culture is on the planet clashes with the truth of God. So as churches and as Christians, we need to find that within our culture. This is called contextualization. You can read up on it. I'll link to a good book by Tim Keller. Um, what, what in our culture and our communities and our neighborhoods and our Metro areas 
is honoring to God in the way that people live their lives. Make your common point with people there because you will both acknowledge the goodness and the truth in those areas and then build your relationship from there out into those other areas where the church and culture differ and try and bring that person into um, a relationship with the truth. And that's, I mean, that's what evangelism is, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what Christ came to do was to engage the culture where it was and find the common points. You've heard it said this, but I say that. We all know this one thing. I'm going to tweak you just a little bit and kind of blow your mind, right? <laughs> and so that's what, as Christians in a church, we should be about. Not about trunker treats to be topical or, you know, those things are good because, well, I guess I kind of just... I think trunk or treats are dumb, but it's a cultural point where we can say, yay, Halloween and candies. Let's do this in a place where we might be able to talk to you about Jesus. Right. So maybe that's a fair way to do it. I just don't want to put my kid one step closer to a creep's car. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not even have kids, but. Well, and I, I, you know, I think actually Halloween is probably a good example of one of those things that the church in general has latched onto as something that is evil and is bad. That uh, Harry Potter. And uh, I, we, we, we talked about church signs not that long ago, and I drove by one the other day that was literally like, hey, we're all going to Satan's party. Jesus, you want to come join us? You know, it was like, <laughs> it was like <sighs> they didn't directly say anything about Halloween, but it was it was basically the... The implication was, is we're going to Satan's party, and as a Christian, we're inviting Jesus to go do that with us. And uh, we really probably don't have the time to go into this, but you really want to start dissecting holidays. There's all kinds of pagan things associated with Christmas and Easter in particular. And so... Yeah, you want to talk about true witchcraft? How does a rabbit lay eggs? Yeah. Riddle me that one. It's uh, it's all about uh, fertility and the rites of spring and uh, those kinds of things. So anyway, I think even the term Easter is about a woman that was like the goddess of fertility or something, but I should probably confirm that before I say that. In our Homework. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just, I, for me, what it boils down to when we talk about um, Christians and cultural context and being um, a part of the culture, but influencing the culture in a positive way, I think we get lost on what's really important and what's not important. And quite frankly, I think Halloween is one of those things. Uh, that is not one of those places that I'm going to choose to die on the hill for um, Halloween. And I'm not going to support, I'm not going to fight for it and I'm not going to fight against it. Uh, but if my kid wants to put a costume on and go to door to door and get candy, just like all of his other friends at school are going to do, then I can support that. If he wants to go have a seance, yeah, I'll probably discourage that. So anyway. All right. I think that was a well debated round of follow up. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess I'm just sort of like, I think if people knew the real reasons behind a lot of things, the other thing that came to my mind was um, a lot of the hymns that we sing are based on on bar tunes. Beer! Yeah. tell me. I don't really have words for it, but... But, you know... But... Correct me if I'm wrong here. A lot of them were based on on bar songs so that they could connect with common people, right? Absolutely, yeah. Memorable melodies reset. With to, Christian words. Yeah, yeah, so that would be like um, redoing like, I don't know, like a Kanye West song <laughs> with Christian lyrics. Sure. Which would be frowned upon nowadays. Well, I, I I'll even say... I think there's some secular music out there that if you listen to the words with a, a, an eternal perspective, which I, I get not everybody does that, but I think if you, if you, if you listen to music um, with an eye on eternity and a focus on God, and there's a lot of movies that are that way, if, you're, if, you're, if your lens that you view the world with 
is a Christian lens and a, and a lens that wants to see God glorified, I think you can see those messages in movies. You can hear them in the music without even having to change the words. Um, but we get so caught up in, again, trivial pieces of, is there foul language in it? Is there? And again, don't get me wrong. I believe God calls us to holiness, and I believe he calls us to purity. Um, and that, you know, much of that does not need to be a part of our lives. But again, if you're spending a significant amount of time in God's word, seeking him, and you go see a movie or you hear these music, hear this music, um, I think you can take a very secular um, media and apply a, a biblical message to it because, again, God transcends those kinds of things, and uh, things are truth because He is truth. And when somebody speaks truth in a movie, when they speak truth in a song, um, even if it is not a non-Christian artist, it can still very much have a Christian message to it because God is truth, and if it's truth, then anyway, my circular logic there. Do any songs or movies come to mind? Do, do, do any come to mind? Um, no, nothing's come to mind at the at the very moment that we're talking. Um, does something come to mind for you? Uh, only just dumb jokes. Only dumb jokes. Which is, you know, most of my waking. Now, granted, energy. there are some movies that cannot be redeemed. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there are, there are yeah, some movies. Titanic. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's some movies that have absolutely no edifying message whatsoever. But, no, nothing's come to my mind in particular when I'm talking about that. But uh, I think some Peter Gabriel comes to mind. Really? Which is, you know. Old school for someone my age, <laughs> like Salisbury Hill or In Your Eyes, mm-hmm. both quality songs. Yes. But he also had a song called Sledgehammer, which is very sexual. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure he's married. It was fine. Exactly. But. Context of marriage. And I, I don't think I can ever hear that song, Sledgehammer, without seeing, without mentally having pictures of the music video. Oh, I don't think I've seen the music video. Being the MTV generation. Yeah. It's, if I hear the song Sledgehammer, I'm picturing the video. No, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, what's it called where they take a picture and then it, it change, um, like how they do claymation. Oh, stop motion. Stop motion. Thank you. Yeah, it's a stop motion video. We'll have to link to that in the show notes. But anyway, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're gonna link to Sledgehammer. Heck yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, it's so catchy. I've already got it stuck in my head. And people, if you don't know who Peter Ga- Peter Gabriel is, then well, you're missing out on some solid '80s music. Very much so. All right, shall we? Uh, shall we move on to the Bible? Let's do what we actually do this <laughs> podcast for. Sorry, folks. Halfway through, and uh, and we've had good discussion about Christianity and culture, Dave. Come on. No, I I agree. All right, so we're at Matthew ten sixteen through twenty three, and I will read that for our listeners. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of, the fa- spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated for all my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. All right. There is a lot in there. There is a ton in there. This might have to be two weeks. <laughs> I, I, I was debating about where to cut it. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much in the verses that follow this. Well, I think I, it's all related, too. Yeah, so if we, if we take two weeks to do this stuff, that's fine with me. I'm good with that as well. All right. 
now back to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, first question. What does wise as serpents and innocent as doves mean? Because that's not something the kids are saying these days, Dave. No, that is not something that kids... First of all, it's way too many words <laughs> and proper grammar. Not very catchy, yeah. So. Um, I, you know, I don't think there's much to be um, put into this in terms of... Uh, that serp- serpents are crafty and uh, doves not so much in that um, both of these are kind of a a symbol of of what they are what they mean uh, the thing that probably is easier for us to understand is being a sheep amongst a wolf amongst the wolves um, and I think it's about that direct that um, again serpents are wise are wise and that not just wise, but kind of uh, cunning. Um, That's the exact crafty. word I was going to use. <laughs> and then doves are, are... Innocent because they are pure white. Because, yeah, it's, it's actually kind of funny. Well, and they're because, like a symbol of peace, too. You know, especially like when, when um, Noah and the ark and they send the dove out with the olive leaf or the olive branch. It's kind of like a all is well sign. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and you know, um, it's kind of interesting because neither one of these, um, neither serpents nor doves um, are really like communal um, animals. Um, Gosh, could you imagine a pack of snakes coming at you? <laughs> no, I would not want to imagine it. Um, like snakes on a plane. That would be no good. No. Um, and doves, um, you know, if you, uh, if you locked up two dogs together or two wolves together, one wolf would eventually dominate another wolf and they would know their place amongst themselves. If you lock two like male doves together, which I don't know why I'm going on this tangent. We've had enough tangents. (laughs) Um, Basically, they would fight until one of them died. So, really, yeah. Why we never have pet doves? <laughs> so, there's a, a, a really amongst neither one of these is there sort of like a a communal or a pecking order or anything like that. Uh, the way that you know wolves have a pecking order. Tell me that puns intended, please. <laughs> uh, partially intended. Well, I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> So you think the the sheep's as uh, sending you out as sheep's in the midst of wolves is maybe a little more telling? I think so. Because that seems like a really bad plan. Yeah, um, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. I choose to live a life that glorifies Him, and He's basically telling me that I'm like a sheep am- amongst wolves. And then I'm surprised when my life isn't easy and pleasant. <laughs> Shame on me. Seems like you're, uh, without the form of Twitter, you are subtweeting, Dave. I'm subtweeting. You are mocking people. Yes. For their <laughs> unrealistic view of Christian life. Um, I was listening to R.C. Sproul's the other day on my audible.com, and he was talking about time he spent with Young Life and being kind of a leadership development person for Young Life out in Colorado. And he said the most common question that he got from people was um, basically, why do some people go off? Why do some kids who do so well in high school and seem like they're so connected to the church, so connected to their Christian friends, then get to college and kind of just totally abandon their faith. Why is that such a frequent thing? And um, one of, uh, basically his R.C. Sproul's answer to young life is, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. Uh, Your greatest strength is that you make Christianity very appealing to teenage kids. And the reality is, is that uh, that is also your greatest weakness because you make it fun. You make it seem like life is easier. You make Mm -hmm. it seem like life is better. And then the reality is, is they go off to college and suddenly they find out that 
Um, there's a lot more fun stuff to be doing. Yeah, there's a lot more stuff to be doing. And, um, well, being a Christian is like being a sheep amongst wolves. It's, it's not always easy. It's not always fun. It's not always uh, this. Now, it can be. And at times it is. But that's not the point. That's but not that's the not end. It. No. So it's kind of, it's reminding me of um, the passage, and I can't think of where it's located off the top of my head. It's in one of the Gospels. Um, but where Jesus says that daily we need to pick up our cross and die to ourselves, mm-hmm. paraphrased roughly, or pick up our cross and follow him. Um, and, and so when I, when I think of the picture of sheep among wolves, it's pretty much just like, it's just a matter of time until you go slaughtered because <laughs> sheep don't have any defense mechanisms, right? No, they do not. As animals, they're dumb, stupid, 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 right? And wolves are pack animals. Yes. So they've gotten no shot. It's just a matter of time. And so <laughs> I, I'm reading this and, and as you read this passage, it gets worse. Verse seven, <laughs> beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. They're going to beat the crap out of you in their place of worship, mm-hmm. which is weird. Like walking dead weird. Have you watched it at all? Walking dead mm-hmm. season five mm-hmm. when they're in the church and they like just. Yeah. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> reminds me. This is what that reminds me. Gotcha. Of. Mindless murder. <laughs> Uh, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Really? I think anxious is like the fifth emotion. Otherwise, <laughs> like, <laughs> freaking out, right? Uh, how you're to speak for what you're to say is going to be given to you. You gotta like brother will deliver brother over to death and father, his child and children will rise against parents. And it's just chaos, right? Cats living with dogs. Exactly. And and this is this is his pep speech, his pregame spiel to get the disciples amped up to go do his work. And I can just imagine they're sitting in a house and they're all just like, um, what did we get ourselves into? Excuse me? <laughs> um, come again? <laughs> because up to this point in his ministry, this has not been an issue, yes. right? There there's been some snide comments by the Pharisees. There's been some name calling, but all kind of like elementary school recess. Right. And he just drops the gauntlet. Like you're, you're all done for. (laughs) I mean, seriously, you're going to go out and do this stuff. And this is what's going to happen. I just want you to know. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I applaud him for his, um, what's I'm looking for. Um, (laughs) candor, candor. Yes. But holy crap, Dave. Yeah. I, I would be like, uh, can I still go home? <laughs> I've got a nice fishing boat, you know, that pays and doesn't try and kill me. I just, I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around like what kind of, he would make a terrible football coach. <laughs> well, well, kids, we're going to go out there and while they're all a foot taller and you're going to, you're just going to get crushed every play of the game, but we're going to give it our best shot. And that's our goal to success. That's how we're going to, we're going to win life is by getting our butts handed to us. What is going on here? Help me understand. Well, I, I, um, I think the, the main thing that he is basically telling them here is, um, well, to not expect any trip treatment, any different than what he received, but he's not received that treatment yet. So they don't know what's coming. Mm. I mean, he has the, he has the um, benefit of being yeah, God sure. and right. knowing what's coming. They have no idea. Even the night that it happens, they have no idea what's coming. Mm-hmm. So I, I can imagine they're just totally bewildered. Well, I think they're bewildered, but you know what? I, I don't think it's completely foreign to them because if they've, if they've read their Bible, which would have been the Old Testament... They're, they are going to see that this happened to people like Joseph. This happened to Moses. This happened to King David. I mean, this is, this is kind of the track record for people that... Right, but <laughs> why, why would, if the Pharisees and Sadducees don't get it, why would they get it? They don't know... Why would they comprehend it? Yeah, more than someone whose profession it is to know these things. 
You get, hmm. you get what I'm saying? Like, obviously, they're with Jesus and they're seeing all the miracles, but they're kind of riding the high at this point. Like, people know who we are. Crowds gather to come see him. We're always around him. This is pretty. We were stuck on a boat. Now we're famous. And then all of a sudden, he's just like, oh, by the way, I'm going to send you out into a minefield. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I guess my whole, my whole point here is, I mean, obviously he warns them, but like, what, what is he, is he just trying to open their eyes to reality before it happens? I, I suspect he is doing that. I would also suspect that it didn't register with them until later. Oh, I'm sure like, yeah, 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 Jesus, get to the good part. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, so I guess my, another question I have about this is the encouragement that Jesus gives in verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what uh, you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Like, oh, just don't worry about it. I'll, you know, I'll speak through you. And I just, I just don't know how, what's going through their minds. And and is that even important? I don't know. But this just, this seems to be like, in my estimation, up to this point through Matthew, the major turning point where Jesus is just like, all right, kid gloves are off. We've, we've traveled, we've healed a bunch of people. Uh, The Pharisees and and I have been sparring verbally, but, but this is the point where it turns like we're Mm -hmm. going home. We're going to Jerusalem. You guys have no idea what's coming. I'm trying to open your eyes. This is what life is going to be like from now on. You better get used to it. And to your point with what R.C. Sproul said to the young life people too often. And I think, us as both ex-youth pastors Mm -hmm. have a pretty good handle on what youth ministry is like right now. And in the past, and my dad being a long time youth pastor, like we, we both kind of have an idea of how that whole realm goes. A lot of what we teach teenagers is the first part of Matthew. Oh, it's all peachy. Mm -hmm. We don't really ever get into we may occasionally but we shy away from it this whole idea of no you you don't understand the world is full of full of wolves and as followers of christ we are sheep and that's not really appealing like hey who wants to go get slaughtered today <laughs> you know mm-hmm. I mean, we'd probably attract some email kids but that was a bad joke i'm sorry oh, <laughs> oh i feel horrible now Oh, that was, that was dumb. I should not have said that. Um, but do you get what I'm saying? Like, there's just this idea. If we just make youth group loud and fun and do crazy games and go on fun trips, then we're going to make Jesus relevant to these teenagers who were too attached to whatever device is new. Whereas Jesus is just kind of like, yo, wake up call, turn the phones off. This is what life is like. And we don't really do that. I don't think we do that. I I am kind of sitting here thinking about his disciples, and with the exception of Judas, they all they actually rose to the challenge. I mean, I don't not going to say they necessarily always did it well, or were perfect in how they did that, but um, they truly lived a life sold out for him. And I think we've mentioned this many times before to the point of dying for him. So they, they eventually got that message. They eventually heard it. And I think we as 21st century Christians probably need to be be doing a better job of saying, um, if life is easy and you're comfortable, you're doing it wrong. Then you're probably (laughs) doing it wrong. Um, and it's not our job to go out and make it difficult or uh, challenging, because I think if we, li- I think if you live your faith, then if you seek Him out, it that pretty much naturally happens. I don't think we have to create it. Well, okay, I see what you're saying. Um, I think there might need to be more clarification there. Sure. 
Um, so you, you're saying that we shouldn't go out of our way to make life more difficult than it already is. But if we're honestly following Christ, that sort of crap's going to find us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, cause, cause not, you know, I, I haven't been blameless in this and I haven't been perfect in this, but being a police officer and living in the world that I live in crude, and coarse joking is very much a part of the world I live in. You don't say. Yes. I will say that, and again, this, is, this hasn't been horrible for me. I'm not, I don't even want to pretend like this matches up with some of the things that Christians around the world are dealing with, but I've had it pointed out to me multiple times by multiple people. Why don't you participate in this? Why are you always... Why don't you, you know, and again, I'm not saying my life is difficult because of it, but there are those moments where it is very clear that I am not a cool kid, a cool kid uh, because of, of doing that. Now, uh, now on the, the same extreme, there is an element of, well, people would never do that to you because you don't ever do it to them. And so I know that's kind of like an indirect sort of, um, people, uh, but that's a naive outlook. How, what do you mean? That people wouldn't do stuff to you because you don't do it to them. No, I, what I'm saying is, is that I had a conversation with somebody not that long ago where a particular person kind of got ganged up on by four other people. And he basically looked at me and said, this would never happen to you because you would never do what it, what I did to put myself in this situation. Gotcha. Okay. And did my best, I'm not going to say I did a great job, but did my best to kind of redirect towards God of, hey, this ain't Dave Hogue, this is really God, and I'm hoping that you see him and me sort of a thing. Um, so I, I don't know. It's so hard. I mean, it just, I so did want to desire, I so desire to glorify God and point people in his direction in the job that I do. And so when I get those little nuggets of somebody saying something of, I see, essentially I'm going to ba- break it down to the very basics of, I see something different in you. Mm-hmm. I try to do my best to go. Uh, that's because I know Jesus. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect in it, but there are definitely those moments from a good standpoint of people saying there's something different about you. I like it. I want to know what it is and I want to be a part of it too. Uh, there's something different about you, and yeah. <laughs> bleep, 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 yeah. You can't be one of the cool kids, but so. It's okay. I was never one of the cool kids, Dave. <laughs> I was. I, I tried was, so hard. Oh, I didn't. I had, no, I, had, <laughs> I had no shot. None. I was in the, the magnet program for third, fourth, and fifth grade, which is just like any social life that I wanted the rest of my school was just like, shot out of the sky it was really sad (laughs) to the point that me and the oldest of my two younger sisters were in the magnet class my parents saw what happened oh no did not put my youngest sister in it even though she should have been in it they're like we're not gonna we're not gonna make her suffer like the older two did (laughs) thanks mom and dad appreciate it hope you got that counseling fund going yeah it's I was never a cool kid Yes. But I married one, so. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. Moving on. This, is, this has been a fun discussion, Dave. Yes. If I can, you know, have a meta comment there, commenting on what we've been talking about while we're still talking about it. All right. I've got a, an odd question, I think. Is there any hope? In verses 21 and 22, which say, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That sounds like the worst horror movie ever. (laughs) And not like worst as in like badly cast and directed, as in like the most shocking and like 
terror-filled movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like the apocalypse when people just lose their minds and just start going on sprees of psychotic behavior. Yeah, and I, honestly, I, I guess I come back to, I think sometimes when Jesus is saying things such as this, he has a very specific audience in mind. And I, I do think this is one of those situations where he is speaking um, specifically to the apostles, the people that are going to um, advance the church after his death. And um, I think it can certainly apply to us today. If you're a Christian in the Middle East, Christian in China, there are places where you get persecuted, and this could apply to you. Uh, but I do think he is giving a very specific message um, to the apostles of the early church, just basically telling them, you are going to see basically the worst of the worst, and there's a good chance that you're going to have to give your life. And, it, and much like you said before, uh, this is coming at a time where they haven't, had, they haven't seen Jesus do this yet. And so, um, you know, I, I know we're not um, in the book of Acts yet, but I just, I, I think about those, the early church and the apostles and, and those who are going to um, carry on Jesus' work after he has left, and just the m- multitude of feelings that they have to be feeling at that particular time. Uh, in in general, I would have a, just a sense of they have got to be incredibly overwhelmed, uh, especially seeing that he was just crucified, and that um, he basically tells them, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, I'm the son of God. You're not. This is what happened to me. So uh, you very well may deal with a similar fate, which much of them did." Yeah. So I guess I want to focus on, um, I agree with what you said, but I just, while you were speaking, I had a thought, Go ahead. um, which I promise will come back around to where you were saying, um, what you were speaking, not spaying. That's a totally (laughs) different thing with dogs. Um, anyways, this idea, um, but the one who endures to the end will be saved there. Uh, when you read that or when I read it, I guess that's what happened. It reminded me of Paul saying, you know, like we, we run the race to win. Like this is an endurance race. This is a long-term eternal type of event. And, and I just realized like a lot of the teaching that I did as a youth pastor and a lot of the teaching I've received as, you know, a high school, college, and young adult has been about how does the Bible apply to me now? today Mm -hmm. in this stage of my life, as opposed to how does God provide and teach me in the long run. Mm -hmm. And, and I think part of that is just due to our culture of immediateness. And I, and I, sometimes I feel like we overplay that in the church, like, Oh, everything's got to be immediate. And people are still longing for connection. That's why Facebook is so big. That's why social media is such a big thing because people want to be known. They just want that barrier of protection in between them in case they get burned, which I get. Um, But how much of our teaching in the church that we are giving or receiving is, is, is so much focused on being the best Christian I can be now, your best life now, as opposed to preparing Christians, whether young or old or middle-aged, for the endurance run of this sort of stuff. That doesn't fill seats in the pews. That sort of, not, not fire and brimstone, but life is hard. We want to we wanna talk about the difficulties and realize this, you're sheep among wolves. Like, you're not long for this world. As opposed to, Jesus is going to make your life so much better better now (laughs) that's i mean you're you're playing to base you know needs and feelings there but do you get what i'm saying Uh, absolutely yes um and i guess i have that a caveat of 
our life is better. It's not better by the definition of 21st century. And that's, that's American. That's the hitch, right? Right. And that's um, uh, Romans 8. Uh, I will work, I'll, I'll work all things good to the good of those. And it's, um, well, last Sunday at church, well, probably wasn't even last Sunday, in the last couple of weeks at church, basically talking about a guy that had, everything was gone, you know, his um, six-figure salary was gone, his divorce was, his wife was gone, he ended up going through a divorce, basically was just, you know, from an external standpoint and an external standpoint of the world's definition of, of success, he had failed and failed miserably. But he basically said he was exactly where God wanted him to be, and he was grateful that God had gotten him, gotten him to that point because as much as everything was just awful from a worldly standpoint, his relationship with God had never been better. And he was able to acknowledge that unless all these other things had happened, I don't know that I would have come to God in this manner. And so um, kind of coming back to what you were talking about of just... Um, it's a Christianity is is definitely a journey. I think that it's a day in and a day out of seeking Him, and that um, that it it makes your life better, but it doesn't make it better in the way that the world says that it's better. And you know, all, I guess the culmination of all that is that you know we die and we go to heaven. And we really should be living our lives with the perspective of, I am going to die someday and be preparing for that death because that death is actually when the real life starts happening. (laughs) And I just don't think we live our, I don't think we live our lives in a healthy way focused on death. I would agree completely. And, you know, uh, as we speak, my grandpa is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in and out of the hospital. His lungs are slowly failing. Um, he's just got all sorts of medical issues and, and he's 83 and you know, his, his body's just starting to fail. And, you know, I remember when my grandma passed last year, last fall, the amount of people that were just like weeping. Mm-hmm. And and like while you know I I appreciate the you're gonna miss her I'm just I'm like she knew Jesus mm-hmm. and so I didn't cry it wasn't like I wasn't like upset that I didn't get to have one last memory with her I couldn't I can't even remember my last conversation with her it had been so long just because of proximity and and me just not making it a priority to talk to her which that's what grates me the most about that but it's just like. As a Christian, I don't feel like death should rattle us the way that it does other people. Like I, I remember uh, on my my dad's side when um, my grandpa, not my biological grandfather, but you know the the current husband of my grandmother at that point died, and my grandma was propping herself up with the casket. And just weeping. Mm-hmm. Like I've never heard a sound like it before in my life. And it broke my heart because she's never going to see him again. And she knew it. Mm-hmm. And she had never been a Christian in her life. She told my dad that if she ever walked into church, the walls would fall down. And after Sam died and she kind of realized I'm never like, I'm that's it. It's done. It's final. She started going to church. Hmm. Now, I don't know if she's still in church. That was a couple of years ago. I don't know if, if her, um, you know, desire to be there has, has stayed or not. But at that point, she realized, this is it. Like, that's final. But for Christians, it's not. It's just kind of like, all right, see you later. You know, and, and I get like in the midst of tragedy, like we had a, we had a student die mm-hmm. 
a month after I was a started as youth pastor. And that was tragic. You know, a young 16 year old kid. You cry about that. Cause you're just kind of like, why? Right. You know, but I think as Christians, we need to reevaluate our view of death and what it really means. And that's not to say you can't cry at a funeral. Like, I don't want to be that guy. But at the same point, like, it needs, we can't be mourning them in that they're lost forever. Because they're not. No. We can, we can, you know, cry because we're just going to miss hanging out with them and miss their wisdom or miss their laughter or their you know, their skills or their love that they had for you. Um, but I just, I feel like death is something Christians need to speak way more frequently and frankly about because it really isn't the end. And if we all are afraid of dying, then are we really truly believing what scripture says? Or is this just another way that fear and anxiety are crippling our faith? Right. Well, and I think, I think there is an element of we fear the unknown. Oh, definitely. And we don't know about death. We can't know about it. No. But I... Which is totally frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'll even say the concept of living forever kind of freaks me out forever because I have this concept of... Exactly. How am I going to be entertained forever (laughs) is what my issue is. But um, I, I, I will just say in my own life, the older I get, granted, I'm, I'm hoping that death is still far away, but it's closer than it was yesterday. So um, that um, I kind of have a better grasp of I'm getting to know somebody that I'm going to hang out with or I'm going to hang out with, that I'm going to worship forever. And there is kind of this, like, I, I, I truly feel like there's this preparation of I'm getting to know God. I'm getting to know Jesus. I'm getting to know the Holy Spirit in a way that is only going to benefit me for eternity. And, um, you know, I do believe our purpose is, is more than that. Our purpose is to worship Him. Our purpose is, is to enjoy Him, to glorify Him. Um, but there is a relationship, and just like any relationship, the more time you spend with somebody, the more you go, I start to know more about who you are, and I definitely feel that way in, in, in my life, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that God and the Holy Spirit have done that for me. I feel like I know Him better, and I think I, I even mentioned this last week. I just, I'm fascinated with, with Christians who have done life well, and the end is is clearly close if for the simple reason of because of the number of years they've lived but you hear these people just there there's just this longing in their voice to be there now yeah there's no there's no fear when you no. when, when you talk to Willard before he passed and when you talk you hear JI Packer now mm-hmm. there's just like they're they're doing the the urgency and genuineness in their voice for other people to get it mm-hmm. is so undeniable Yeah, that it's, it's incredibly attractive. Right. And now, you know, my grandpa who died a few years ago, um, actually it's even been more than a few years, but um, I wouldn't say he was somebody that pursued Christ throughout his whole life. I do believe he was a Christian. And the closer he got to that, it was interesting to even just conversations with him to hear just some of the things that he was starting to realize about making that transition from this world to the next of um, God waiting for him and it just being that time. And, you know, really had no desire to prolong his life here. You know, could have probably gone on dialysis and things like that and lived a little, little bit longer. And he just was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really quite ready. So, uh, and I'm grateful that I got to have those conversations with him towards the end that he could articulate that sense of something calling him home. So it's still really weird to think it is. It is. (laughs) But all right. Well, I I feel like we could continue. Yeah. And hopefully we kind of touched on the scripture that we talked about. No, we did. And there's, I do want to talk about the last verse because that one seems to be, that one might require some homework. Verse 23. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but I do want to talk about that next. Okay. Maybe we'll start there and then continue on next episode. Sounds good. There's a lot to talk about in the coming verses. Awesome. So thank you to everyone who has listened this far. You are wonderful and we appreciate it. Yes. So thank you. you. If you guys want to get in on the conversation like Nick and Jerome have done and Justin has done and other people, my sister, you know, we're going to add you to the list of people that have taken the time out of your day to ask questions or yell at us, (laughs) both of which are equally appreciated. Sure. So if you want to do that, you can, uh, message us on Twitter at masterclass FM. If you want to speak to Dave specifically, you can do so at 108 HBO where H is the only number. And I am at cam Brennan. If you would like to talk with me specifically, if you've got something that's longer than 140 characters, you can email us masterclass FM at gmail.com. And if you want to go to the show notes, which based on our discussion today, I think might have a few fun links in it. Uh, they will be at masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash 34, as this is the 34th episode of the Masterclass podcast. Any closing thoughts, Dave? No. All right. Well, I guess that's it. That's it. Bye. Goodbye.